Beth Harmon was born to a mother who was addicted and troubled. At nine, Beth's mother crashes the car they are driving in and her mother dies and Beth survives. She's sent to live in an orphanage. Now, because Beth is very smart, she finishes her classwork early and the teacher asks her to go to the basement to clean the blackboard erasers. Some of you remember that clapping noise that the erasers would make and all the dust that would fly. There she meets Mr. Scheibel, the janitor, who was playing chess alone in the basement. She's fascinated by the game and just by watching him, she figures out the logic of it and she begs Mr. Scheibel to teach her. And after refusing and telling her girls don't play chess, eventually he relents. Well, she starts skipping out on chapel to play with him, and he soon recognizes that she has a mastery level gift. He introduces her to the local high school chess club teacher who invites her to play with his students, and she beats them all. Beth becomes obsessed with chess. But Beth is also obsessed with the little green pills that all the children in the orphanage are given and a practice that was prevalent in the 1950s, the kids were given tranquilizers and Beth begins to use them to help her visualize chess strategy. The state eventually outlaws the green pills, but Beth is already addicted. In high school, Beth is adopted and is able to eventually enter chess competitions where she quickly establishes herself as a dominant player. Even though girls don't play chess, she beats all the boys and she begins to win prize money. And so she begins to travel around the country to enter into competitions. And her rising chess career is remarkable, but it is also accompanied by an increasing addiction to the green tranquilizers and to alcohol as she travels around the world. The unfolding story of the Queen's Gambit is truly a triumph and a tragedy, and I, I hope you can make some time to see it on Netflix. But Beth's self-destructive behaviors are tragic to watch. Her life is one of constant loss and grief and misfortune. And yet, what makes the story so compelling, at least to me, is how she constantly is met by friendship, by grace and compassion, moment after moment. And eventually, all of those moments come together to give her the strength to, to choose love, to know that she is at last not alone, and to find that the real triumph is not winning a chess tournament, but being loved and loving in return. The passage that Chris read for us from Hebrews this morning is a stark passage. In fact, in the last few uh, weeks, I've been going back and forth. Am I going to preach on that one or am I not going to preach on that one? Um, but Jesus is taking on flesh and blood in this passage in order, it says, to destroy the devil. That's a word we often don't use at our church and with good reason, because the personification of evil as the devil has become a caricature, caricature for much of religious history. When in fact, the Bible has a pretty disparate picture on what evil and the devil is. Now, there's much longer exploration to be done on that. But suffice it to say, the biblical narrative seems to agree that there is a counterforce to the goodness of God in the world. There's a counterforce to the goodness of God in the world. And, and that's 
what I think of when I think of the devil or evil when trying to place together some of these um, multitude of biblical references and also the cultural inferences that we've had. In this passage, it's interesting to note that it seems that what Jesus destroys in his death is not death itself, although other places in the Bible make that claim. But in this passage, Jesus is destroying the one who has the power of death. And what gives the devil that power? Well, in verse 15, it goes on to say, and he will deliver, delivers all those who through the fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So it is not death itself. It's not death itself, nor the devil personified that seems to be the root of the issue. It is the slavery of the fear of death. It's how we are enslaved by our fear of death. That is what Jesus comes to free us from, according to the writer of Hebrews. So where does the fear of death show up for you? For me, it's often grasping, grasping at, at meaning, at relationships, at experience, at, at self-importance. I also find it showing up for me as a self-protection, not risking the hard conversations, not trusting the glory of God alive in you and in me to be who we are called to be in the world. The fear of death can also mean dying before we die, numbing ourselves through various addictions, staying locked in self-defeating behaviors. So by dying himself, by being tempted, by entering into the humanity of our experience, Jesus shows us a way beyond our fear and becomes a companion to us in our suffering and in our temptation, even in death. So the antidote to our fear, says the writer of Hebrews, is the companionship of Jesus. The antidote to our fear is the companionship of Jesus. So often this companionship comes to us disguised as a friend or a sunset or the right word at the right time. It comes to us as unexpected grace, a capacity for forgiveness we didn't know we had or we didn't have a few minutes before, or a release of some sort. This companionship comes to us and we participate in it by turning our face toward it, moving into the rhythms of contemplation and compassion over and over and over again. But even when we don't, even when we can't seem to turn our face, grace seems to eventually come to us anyway, as it came to Beth Harmon in the bottom of her addiction and aloneness. Grace comes to us and, and turns our face to be able to see the presence of Christ in our world. Another hymn that I loved in the Baptist church growing up was, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, Look Full in His Wonderful Face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light 
of his glory and grace. This is a difficult time for mostly all of us. The days are long and monotonous. The news of COVID-19 variants and slow vaccinations and conspiracy theories and divisions are discouraging to say the least. So I encourage us to keep turning our eyes toward Jesus, to turn towards the light of the one who is with us and teaches us to be with the world in all of its suffering and fear. Allow yourself to be surprised by grace, to be surprised by courage, to be surprised by the turning of your soul to the light of God. And let's listen again to these words of the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the ever living God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Amen. <laughs>